Welcome to another episode of the Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host, and today we have Chris once again with us to talk about his latest media article titled Why a Robust Estimate of Future Returns is Important for Investment Planning. Hi Chris, good to have you back again today to share deeper insights behind your BT article and thank you for finding time to record this podcast even though you are now in the States mm. attending Dimensionals Conference. How, how has it been so far? Uh, it's been really tiring. I mean, I've been here since Sunday. So besides fighting the jet lag, you know, I have to go for mm. many meetings. Um, the good thing about coming to US um, to meet Dimensional is that it's not just about attending the conference. Um, I mean, we get a chance to go to various firms, the various successful advisory firms to try and learn from them to find out what they are doing. And mm. also, you know, when we come to Dimensional Office, always we get a chance to meet up with the senior management. So I yep. think that's good because a lot of our clients are invested into funds by Dimensional. And it's good that once a year, except for during the COVID period, but mm. otherwise, almost every year I can be here to meet the senior management, to understand uh, how Dimensional is doing, you know, and all that. So, yeah, although it's been tiring, it's been a fruitful trip so far. Nice. We look forward to you bringing back more insights uh, to share with all of us back here uh, when you are back yeah. next month. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've really gotten a lot of ideas. So, yeah, you can be sure I'll be back to share more about it. That's good. So, after reading your BT article, which I think you, you rushed out over the weekend, the last weekend, mm. I have a few questions which I thought would be helpful if you could help to elaborate. Mm. Right. So, mm. one of it, uh, you mentioned that back in the early 2000s when Provident first started, we decided to be more robust in deriving the planning returns used for constructing our clients' wealth plan. And we used historical data to estimate the expected returns. Why do we choose to use historical data when we know that it's not very accurate? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about investment returns is that the data cannot be reproduced. And what this means is that the return from the market on a certain date, say for example, yesterday, right, the market returns, it will always be unique to that certain date and cannot mm -hmm. be recreated unlike a Typical scientific experiment that we have done it, you know, in secondary school or when we were in school, right? I mean, we mm -hmm. can recreate the same condition and we probably can get the same kind of outcome. Mm -hmm. But for financial data, it is unique in that, well, that return that we get on a certain date, um, it's almost near impossible to reproduce that same data again. So yeah. when we say that historical data is not so accurate, what we really mean is that it does not necessarily help us accurately predict how markets will react to any given situation or that it is not forward-looking. Now, of course, does that mean that these historical data, they are not useful at all? I think not so. Uh, historical data is still useful as a guide for understanding the possible range of investment returns. Thus, it's a good starting point. Um, this mm. historical data is a good teacher um, and like I said, a good starting point for most models for us to help in a way estimate future returns. So, I mean, when we first started, mm. we don't have a lot of guidance. Uh, even the Iberson Chen model that we use was not um, invented back then, you know, and okay. the financial planning industry was very primitive. In fact, you know, we are really as robust as we can be because as I mentioned in the article, 
mm. a lot of planners, if they plan at all, what kind of planning returns did they use? Well, mm. they use maybe the market gross return. Mm. They use maybe the projected returns of funds, uh, the yeah. ILP, as I mentioned in the article. Or they may use the historical return of unit trust, but they, they don't minus off the cost. So for us, at least, mm. I mean, we try to be a bit more robust mm. by looking at the historical return. Say, for example, the last 20 years of the equities market, and then we get a return. Well, we take it that it's a guide of future returns, but uh, we are at least more robust in mm. minusing all the costs that are associated in investing, right? Because right. Um, you cannot invest uh, in, say, for example, the, the, the index, right? When we use instrument to invest into the market, there is a cost, right? Say, for example, we want to invest in the US market and we use a unit trust. So there is a unit trust cost. If you use an ETF, there is an ETF cost. And then there is an ongoing advisor's cost, right? So at least 20 years ago when Providence started, we tried to be as accurate as possible. We take the market returns. Mm. Yes, it's an estimate, it's historical, but then we still minus it. We still minus all the costs to get a net return and we use it for planning, right? right. So yes, we use historical, uh, but I mean, we did try to be as robust as we can. Mm, agree. I mean, cost it into returns. I mean, this is a very well-known fact, right? So mm. if the other FAs out there, they don't actually use, uh, they don't deduct the cost, then mm. actually the returns they use are, are not accurate. Or rather, they will definitely be not accurate, no matter whether they use historical data mm. or or even the ibertson Chan model. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to say this, that, I mean, we talk about not minusing cost, but I, like I mentioned, I'm not mm. even sure whether planners out there, they actually estimate properly uh, mm. the gross return, like I said. Okay. Right? I mean, how, how do you get the gross return to be used for planning? Right? And mm. as I mentioned in the past, a lot of people simply use um, the projection of an ILP, mm. uh, which is standard across ILPs, right? Or they use the historical return of the fund, right? So it, that that part is really not accurate. Don't talk about minusing of the cost, right? So, well, for us, at least what we did try and do is to look at how the markets, not the funds, right? How the markets have performed over the last 20 years to give us some guidance on what we think is going to be the next 20 years. So that portion of it, mm. we are already as accurate as we can be 20 years ago. Mm. But we take one. We took one more step, which is to minus off the cost. Right. Just wondering, is there no standard set by MES in terms of estimating returns? No. Or any? No. No, there's no standard set by anywhere around the world. I mean, there are various ways, uh, people can estimate the future returns. Right. Yeah. So there's no real standard way. And okay. like I said, twenty years ago, um. I mean, I'm not even sure whether people, they use a planning return to plan, right? Because 20 years ago, when you talk about financial planning industry, it's all about product sale, yes. right? So there's no real planning involved to talk about how much you need, you know, say net, how much you need in 20 years time, mm. and then how much you should be investing to be able to reach that goal in 20 years time. Mm. 
Mm. 20 years ago, it's just about selling a product. And if mm. planners even plan, I mean, I'm sure there are good planners that plan. Yes. But they need to have certain returns. They need to have certain planning numbers uh, used to estimate, firstly, how much you will need in 20 years' time and how much you will need to invest based on a certain return in order to reach that goal, right? I mean, even if planners use that, well, different planners use different ways of getting that um, estimated return. So, no, I mean, mm. there's no standard way. Okay. So, what about the use of more granular historical data, such as long-term rolling returns? Would that actually make the historical data we use more accurate? Well, I think long-term rolling returns are really just a subset of historical returns. They are historical, uh, they are historical returns as well. Mm. But maybe for the sake of the listeners, let me uh, just explain what rolling returns are because I'm not going to assume everybody understands rolling returns. Mm. right? Now, so say, for example, we want to look at over the last 30 years, right? over the last, let's say we start from 1990 until... December of uh, 2022 because that's the last set of data that we have because 2023 mm. is not over yet, right? Mm. So between 1990 to 2022 December, um, that is about 33 years of data. Yeah. We want to look back at this 33 years, what the average five-year returns would look like, mm. Right? And let's say we use five years monthly rolling returns for the last 33 years. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that the first set of data will be from January of 1990 all the way to December of 1994. That's the first set of five years monthly rolling returns. Mm -hmm. right? And we can get an average return of these five, over these five years, what's the average return per year look like for these five years? But that's just the first set. Mm -hmm. Then we need to get a second set. Yeah. So the second set will start from February of 1990 mm -hmm. to January of 1995. So what we find out what is the average return for these five years or mm -hmm. over these five years. Then we do the third set, which mm -hmm. will start from March of 1990 to February of 1995. That's mm -hmm. the third set, right, of every uh, of the average return uh, for that five years. So now we have three sets of five years return. And mm -hmm. we do that, you know, we continue to do that until, like I mentioned, December of 2022. And we probably get about 300 over sets of five years annualized returns. Yeah. So it's more granular. Right, it, it tells you over the last 33 years, mm. well, the five years average return, they are all different. So it gives you a better idea of how it looks like. But well, don't forget, mm. they are still historical. Mm. Right, so whether it's um, just using, say, over the last 30 years mm. uh, uh, or, or over the last five years, what was the average return? Or mm. over the last 33 years, what has been the average return for that 300 over sets? I mean, they are all just historical returns. Right. So they are still not forward-looking and the same problems still remain. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay, can. So when do we stop using historical data and, you know, we start using a person churn model instead? Mm, it's really this year. Okay. Right, because uh, we decided that uh, we can be more robust and at Provident, you know that we always try to do things better. Yep. So this year, the investment team got together together mm. with uh, one of the inventors of the Ibbotson Chen model, which is Dr. Peng. Yes. Who, as you know, is also our senior advisor. So together, they use this particular model to better yep. estimate the expected returns, uh, not just for planning, but also for our portfolios. Right. So according to the numbers you provided in the article, uh, previous planning returns that we use based on the historical data seem to be lower as compared to the Ibbotson Chen model planning returns that we estimate now. Meaning uh, in the past, we might be a little bit too conservative in our planning numbers. Although, I mean, we've all along tried to be a bit more conservative uh, for our clients. But then that means our clients may be over-investing, right? Mm. So what are some of the consequences of that? Yeah, so I mean, like you have said, Ned, our plan mm. returns are generally very conservative. As mm. I mentioned, they deduct the exact cost of the portfolio from the expected returns. Yeah. And so yes, it's true that the previous returns that we use for planning, they are lower. Mm. But well, if you look at uh, what we got from the latest estimate using the Ibbotson Chen model, the difference is not very high. Mm. Right. So, well, yes, clients might have, quote-unquote, over-invested a bit, but well, it's not a lot more because the differences are not very large. And mm. it's always better to over-invest a bit than under-invest, right? Because yes. if you over-invest a bit, not a lot, because if you over-invest too much, then it may affect your current lifestyle. But if you over-invest just a bit, well, you end up getting more, which is a good thing. So uh, it's not a huge problem, we think. Yeah, or you reach your goal earlier. Uh, or, or you, you don't have yeah. to save so much, right? Yeah, or you reach your goal uh, earlier because you are over-investing. Mm. Um, and well, again, like I said, it's a good thing. I mean, what we are trying to avoid is that people don't over-invest too much because if you yes. over-invest too much, then it affects your current lifestyle. But based on the, um, the, the most recent set of data that we got as compared to the previous set, the differences are not great. And so we are not too worried about it. Sure. Okay, so I just have two more questions. I know it's late over there at your end. I also don't want to keep you for too long. Uh, so just two more things that you wrote in your article and maybe you can unpack a little bit more for us. One of it that you mentioned is that at Provident, we have to re-estimate the planning returns on a yearly basis. So we plan to do that. And if the returns yeah. deviate too much from the yeah. previous year, Right, mm. we would do re-planning for our clients. Mm. How do we actually determine how much is too much deviation before we do re-planning for our clients? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't really give you like a, a concrete number. You know, I can't say that. Well, if the division, uh, the deviation is, uh, say, for example, one percent difference or two percent difference or five percent difference, mm. we need to do re-planning for our clients. Um. Because it really depends on various factors. Right? The first one I'll say is that it depends on whether the previous returns are higher or lower, which we have just uh, discussed it. Mm. Right? So if the previous returns are lower, well, mm. I think that's fine right? because that's conservative. That means clients are 
over investing. So that's fine, right? Mm. But if the previous return that we have estimated is much higher, then there is a chance that clients are under investing. And what that means is that they may not reach their goal, mm. right? So maybe then we need to sort of do some replanning. So that's the first thing, mm. right? The first factor. Now, the second factor is we must remember, okay? And it's something that we are quite worried that people misunderstand mm. that when we estimate the future expected returns, Mm-hmm. We are not saying that this will be the actual returns. Right. We are also not saying that our investment team, when they manage their investment, the, the, when they manage the investment portfolios, they are targeting these returns. No, that's not what we are saying. Okay. Right? We worked out the estimated expected return mm. for the purpose of planning, for the purpose of helping us calculate how much clients should be investing the actual mm. returns can be very different. So if the actual dif- uh, the actual returns are much better than what we estimated, even though there is a deviation between the previous set and the current set, that's fine because the actual return is actually better, right? Yeah. So then there is no real need for planning, mm. right? And perhaps the other factor that uh, we were used to consider whether there is a need to do replanning is how near the client is to the objective. So maybe this year we worked out a new set of expected returns and Mm -hmm. yes, it's different from the previous set, but um, clients is going to reach their objective next year. So it's just one more year, Mm. right? And the actual returns all these years might have been better. And so we're not going to be too worried just because our estimated returns are uh, different from the previous set. Right, mm-hmm. so so there are all these factors that determines whether there is a need for us to do replanning, and we can decide it with clients during our regular progress meetings with clients. Okay, I think I think you you brought up a very good point to you know reemphasize because this is such a technical piece, right? And then we seem yeah. to be focusing a lot on estimating um investment returns. So mm-hmm. I I like that you actually you know remind us that we estimate returns purely for planning purposes. Mm-hmm. It's not that we guarantee that this is uh, uh the investment return that we will aim to get or we are guaranteeing mm-hmm. this to our clients, mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately Provident we are a firm that doesn't believe in forecasting and uh, we don't try to beat the market, right? Yeah, so I mean you are right to say that we are a firm that um, we don't try to forecast uh, where the markets are going you know, and we, we don't try and outguess the market. We don't do this thing called tactical asset location which yeah. is trying to guess whether, during, during, uh, whether during, uh, you know, where during this period of time whether equities will do better or bonds will do better you know, and as a result of that, we should overweight bonds, underweight equities. No, we don't do these kind of things, right? We don't try and mm. outguess the market. Yep. And I hope people don't misunderstand that when we try and estimate future expected returns, people think that we are trying to guess where the markets are going. Mm. Right? No, that's not what we are trying to do. Well, at Provident, we are still not trying to market time. We are still not trying to guess where the markets are going. It's not going to affect the way we manage our portfolios. Right. But what we are really trying to do is that, well, if we stay invested in the portfolio, after 10 years, after 20 years, what would likely be the future expected returns? 
right? Mm. So it's just an estimate. And we admit that it can be wrong. And that's why I kept saying that the estimated returns, they are not actual returns. They are not the return that we target. Mm. We're not doing that, right? But we, we need to know that if I stay invested in this portfolio for 10 years, 20 years, what would be the expected return, estimated? Because if we know these numbers, let's say it's 7%, then I know that if I invest $1,000 every month mm. at 7%, whether I will be able to reach my goal. Yeah. So I'm using that 7% as a planning. Yeah. Right. Or if I have a goal that I need to achieve in 20 years' time, and if the, if the estimated expected return is 7%, then how much do I need to save every month to get there? And mm. you, know, you, you see what I mean? Right? We need that number to sort of like plan. Yeah. Right, so we are not trying to guess where the markets are going. We are just trying to, you know, get a number out there as accurately and as robustly as possible to yeah. help us plan. Right. Okay. Thanks so much for explaining, and of course, once again for allowing me to pick your brain and ask all these difficult questions. Uh, and to our listeners, uh, and also readers of Chris's Money Wisdom column on the Business Times. I hope you now better understand our rationale behind putting in so much time and effort to have a robust estimate of future returns as we plan for our clients. And it's also very important to verify if the returns of your investments projected by outside financial institutions and advisors are actually realistic. So before signing off this week's episode, I would like to share that uh, Isaac, our associate advisor and co-host of the Money Wisdom podcast, will be taking over this mini-series which we call The Brain Behind to interview Chris in the following months as I would be away on maternity leave. It has been a great pleasure and privilege to be able to host this mini-series and interview Chris the past five months and I hope you have also enjoyed our discussion today on why a robust estimate of future returns is important for investment planning. If you like this episode, follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar content. As always, thank you for listening and have a great week ahead, everyone. All analyses, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Robinson Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any use of the information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.